Welcome to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums that testify of Christ's teachings, His life, ministry, and mission, and His sacred atonement. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. I'd like to ask you a question as I begin tonight. If you had the great privilege of preparing the message for tonight, what would you talk about? You see, Easter Day is rapidly drawing to a close. Another Easter, one after another through all the years. And tonight, uh, what would you talk about if this assignment was yours? I've thought about that a great deal for the past six weeks. And as I've gone through those six weeks, I've added note after note to a little file for the BYU 10-stake fireside. And then as I prepared the talk, finally, I think I threw most of those ideas over and started all over again. And I feel impressed tonight that we must uh, talk about the Savior, hopefully in a way that might be different in a new experience and draw you closer to Him than you've ever been before in your life. I would hope this would be... This is all I want. I want nothing more than to have you have a spiritual experience tonight with a Savior. Maybe we'd lead off by talking about Adam. When Adam was driven out of the Garden of Eden, as you know, he built an altar and offered sacrifice. And after many days, an angel of the Lord appeared unto Adam, saying, Why dost thou offer sacrifice? And Adam said, I know not, save the Lord hath commanded me. And then the angel spake, saying, This thing is a similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten. Therefore thou shalt do all thou doest in the name of the Son, and thou shalt repent and call upon God in the name of the Son forevermore. Now, I'd like to draw your attention to, I believe, the formula for living in that one statement. Therefore thou shalt do all thou doest in the name of the Son. Now, what if every single man from Adam on down had simply patterned his, his life after that simple formula? What a change in life we'd have here tonight, and what a change of life we'd have across the whole earth. And imagine the prophets. Imagine the great blessing. Well, as life would have it, men aren't prone to do those things. But Adam had the formula given to him, lo, those many years ago, by an angel of the Lord. And then I'm impressed with Enoch. I love to read in, in the book of Moses. I think of... Uh, all of this sheer pleasure reading I do, the book of Moses, probably impresses me about as much as anything. But when Enoch, you recall, beheld the heavens weep, and then he beheld God weeping, and then, Mo and then Enoch said, How is it that thou canst weep, seeing thou art from all eternity to all eternity? And were it possible to number the particles of the earth, yea, millions of earths like this, it would not be a beginning to the number of thy creations. And thy heavens are stretched out still, and thy bowels are filled with, with mercy, and thou art just, and thou art merciful, and thou art kind forever. Wherefore, how is it that thou canst weep? Now, as I've thought about this, who is this Jesus, that if it were possible to number the particles of the earth, yea, millions of earths like this, it would not be a beginning to, a num to the number of his creations? And you think about that and think about going down on the beach and letting the sun, sand run through your hand all day and never coming to just a little partially partial of the beach. And then think about this Jesus and the multitudes and the number and the myriads of creations created by him. I don't believe in the smallest degree we understand who this great being and soul is. And then, of course, you recall why the Lord said he wept. 
Behold these men. They are the workmanship of mine hand. And then he, of course, talked about their wickedness. And then he let Enoch have the privilege of seeing all the men who lived on this earth, whoever would live upon this earth. And then Enoch wept. And then Enoch said, And my heart swelled wide as eternity. Do you know I've had that happen in my life? Not like Enoch did, of course. But I've been in meetings, and I've had my heart just so filled with love and compassion to every living soul on the face of the earth that it's just one of those great blessings that comes. And it doesn't come very often, but when it comes, I feel like I couldn't harm, I believe, as Joseph F. Smith said, the smallest insect. Well, then we talk about Jesus in Moses' time, and Moses beheld the Savior, and he was in his presence, and then the presence withdrew from him. And Moses had the privilege during that day of seeing all the myriads of beings who lived upon the earth, who had lived upon the earth, who lived upon the earth, or who ever would live upon the earth. And then Moses made the great statement, Now I perceive, now for this cause I perceive that man is nothing, which thing I never had supposed. And when you suppose that there are four billion people upon the earth, and 3.3 or 4 tenths million Latter-day Saints, one for 11, every 1,100 members, or every, every 1,100 people in the, on the face of the earth. And if just the Latter-day Saints knelt down and prayed to a kind and loving Heavenly Father, and to suppose with his discernment, with his abilities, that he could comprehend every single prayer and answer them in his way, then, of course, we begin to understand just a little bit more about this great Savior and who he is. I'm impressed uh, as I read on in Ether and the brother Jared and his family, and, the, and Jared, his family, gathered around the, the uh, Tower of Babel. And you recall the confusion of tongues. And Jared said to his brother, Kneel down and ask the Lord that our tongues might not confuse. And the blessing was granted to the brother Jared and his family and, and Jared and his family. And then you recall the great trek they made through the wilderness and finally built the barges. And then Jared told his brother again to go back before the Lord which the brother of Jared did, and asked, How will we have air? For uh, the barges, as you recall, were tight. And the Lord showed him how to have air, how they might have fresh air. And then the brother of Jared also said, Unless we perish in the darkness, how can we have light? And uh, the Lord talked about windows. And if we have windows, they'll surely be dashed. And, and uh, the floods will come in upon you, and you'll perish in the darkness. And and so he left the problem with, with the brother of Jared. And the brother of Jared went up into the mountain and, and made 16 uh, stones transparent as crystal or glass. And then he brought these uh, molten stones down out of the mountain, and he laid them before the Lord. And once again, he knelt, knelt down before the Lord. And I guess in the greatest uh, understanding and depth and, and uh, understanding of prayer, he said things to the Lord in his weakness and in his lack of understanding and in my unworthy state, uh, please grant this blessing, and with thy finger stretch forth thy hand and touch these stones one by one, that they might be made light. And the Lord reached forth his finger and touched the stones one by one, and they became light. And the brother of Jared beheld the finger of the Lord, and he fell to the earth. And the Lord said, Why hast thou fallen? And he said, I beheld the, Lord, the finger of the Lord, and I knew not the Lord had a body of flesh and blood. And then the Lord said, Sawest thou more than this? And the brother of Jared said, No, Lord, show thyself unto me. And then the Lord said, Because of thy great faith thou art redeemed from the fall, therefore you are brought back into my presence, 
And the Lord showed himself unto the brother of Jared in that hour. And the brother of Jared beheld the Lord and was redeemed from the fall. And the personage with whom he had that experience was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And here he was prepared before the foundations of the earth. Now you think about this great being, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the brother of Jared, who assisted him in building the ship, who was there to reach forth his hand and, and touch each of the stones, who helped the, the brother of Jared with his great faith and caused them to cross the great waters and become a great and a mighty people in so much that they covered the entire land. Then we have a feeling of how the brother of Jared must have felt towards him. And the brother Jared was mighty in writing, and his, his writings are mighty. And then let us slip down to Enos, the son of a prophet. Jacob, his father, had beheld the Savior. I have beheld my Redeemer, he said. And then Enos, I guess, having had these words come into his heart like never before in his life, as a young man went out to hunt beasts in the forest, and he said, The words which I had often heard my father speak concerning eternal life and the joy of the saints sunk deep into my heart, and my soul hungered. And I knelt down before my Maker in mighty prayer and supplication. And all the day long did I pray unto him. And when the evening came, I did still raise my voice high, that it did reach the heavens. And a voice said unto me, Enos, thy sins are forgiven thee, and thou shalt be blessed. And now I, Enos, knew that God could not lie, wherefore my guilt was swept away. And I said, Lord, how is this thing done? And he said, Because of thy faith in Christ. Now, because of faith in Christ, we can have our guilt swept away. That's an impressive thing. Well, we think that uh, transgression comes in, into the lives of uh, every man, and to some in a great degree, and some in a lesser degree. I've had many great privileges this past three years of interviewing hundreds and hundreds of people, many prospective missionaries, many who were unworthy, many who had sought repentance, some who had repented and some who had not repented, some that I had to say, no, you're not ready to go yet, and others that I could say and feel a total peace with the Spirit, yes, you may go. I've had opportunity to visit with, with adults, men in high places in the church who have had transgression. And, and counsel with them and feel the varying degrees of repentance. And when you think that each one in this, this great congregation tonight has some greater or lesser transgression and that the Lord, the God, even Jesus Christ, has the power to take that off of your heart, what manner of man is he? What manner of being is this we worship? And then, of course, to add to this, we have the, the great... Uh, uh, conversion of, of Alma, his father being a, a prophet and a just man, and having a wayward son, Alma, uh, I guess prayed and fasted that his son might have an experience. And the Lord heard the prayers of his father, Alma. And so as Alma and the sons of Mosiah went about seeking to destroy the church of God, as Alma relates the story to his son, Helaman, said, As we went about, behold, God sent his holy angel to stop us by the way, and his voice was as the voice of thunder. And the whole earth trembled beneath our feet, and we all fell to the earth, for the fear of the Lord came upon us. And he said, The angel spake unto me, and commanded me to arise. And I arose, and beheld the angel of the Lord. And he said, If thou wouldst thyself be destroyed, seek no more to destroy the church and kingdom of God. And then Alma said, Now when I heard these words, I fell to the earth. And it was for the space of three days and three nights that I had neither the use of my limbs, neither could I speak. 
And he said, But I was racked with eternal torment, harrowed up by the memory of my many sins. Yea, he said, I remember that I had rebelled against my God, that I had not kept his holy commandments, and that I had murdered many of his children. And then he corrected that and said, Or rather, led them unto destruction. And in fine, so great had been mine iniquity, that the thought of coming into the presence of my God filled my soul with inexpressible horror. Oh, thought I that I could become banished and extinct, both soul and body, that I might not be brought into the presence of my God to be judged of my deeds. And he said it was for the space of three days and three nights, harrowed up to the greatest degree. And then finally he said, My mind caught hold upon one thought that I'd heard my father speak concerning one Jesus Christ who would come into the world to atone for the sins of man. And when I thought this, I cried within my heart, O Jesus, thou Son of God, have mercy on me, who am in the gall of bitterness, and am encircled about by the everlasting pains of death. And then he said to his son Helaman, My son, when I thought these words, great joy and lightness filled my soul. I tell you, there can be nothing so exquisite and bitter as were my pains. And on the other hand, there could be nothing so exquisite and sweet as was my joy. Behold, I send you my son, that methought I saw even as our father Lehi saw, God sitting upon his holy throne, surrounded by numberless concourses of angels in the attitude of singing and praising their God, and my soul did long to be there. Three days and three nights, and I guess there have been many people who have suffered. Someone has said, Nighttime demands from the overburdened soul the things which daylight denies. And many of you have sat through the long, dark hours of the night with a lonely, heavy heart, and you know how long a night can be. And when you think about suffering to the greatest degree for three days and three nights, and then a particle of a thought, I remember one Jesus Christ, and building upon this thought, as he did, and then crying within him, and having the transgression taken from his heart, repentance complete and, and joy and light filling his soul. Well, again, let's consider who is the maker, who is the creator of us all, who has the power over us that after three days and three nights of torment, our mind can be released of this terrible burden. I think in a lifetime we must never forget that, for every one of us will use that in our lifetime to a greater or lesser degree. And, of course, one of the great stories in all of the Book of Mormon to me, one that I just thrilled with, is when Ammon and his, uh, converts to King Lamoni, and then they, they're on the way to free his two brethren from prison. And, and they meet Lamoni's king, or the father, who is the king over all of the Lamanites. And so after, I won't go through all of the details, but finally uh, an arrangement is made whereby uh, Ammon or his representatives can go and teach the king over all the Lamanites, and Aaron is selected to do this. And so Aaron meets with the king of all the Lamanites and teaches them all the day long from the beginning to the end, or at least through a great period of time. And then finally, after he, the, the scripture says, And after Aaron had expounded these things unto him, the king said, What shall I do that I may receive this eternal life of which thou hast spoken? Yea, what shall I do that I may receive this great joy? that I may have this wicked spirit rooted out of my breast and re receive his spirit. And then here's the key. He said, Behold, I would give up all that I possess. Yea, I would forsake my kingdom, that I may receive this great joy. 
And Aaron said, If thou desirest this thing, if thou wilt bow down before God, yea, if thou wilt repent of all thy sins and bow down before God, believing ye shall receive, then thou shalt receive the hope which thou desirest. And the king did kneel before the Lord, yea, he did prostrate himself upon the earth and cried mightily, saying, O Lord, O God, Aaron hath told me that there is a, is a God. And if there is a God, and if thou art God, wilt thou make thyself known unto me, and I will give away all my sins, that I might know thee. Now in the church, we're called upon to do many things. But this man said, I'll give away my kingdom. I'll forsake all that I have. I'll forsake my sins. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ, and many of us hang on to sins, however slight, however devious, some greater, some lesser. We read the kinds of materials that we never should read. We think thoughts that a Latter-day Saint never ought to think. We see the kinds of movies that a Latter-day Saint had not to see. And, and so these things come into our hearts, and yet we have the truth. And if we could just gain the Spirit to the smallest degree that this great king had when he said, Behold, I will give up all that I possess. Yea, I will forsake my kingdom, that I may, may receive this great joy. I think we ought to renew our effort in, in that thing. And then, of course, in the New Testament, we read that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then the verse that we hear President Romney quote so beautifully and then so powerfully uh, relate to it, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. He said many people talk about knowing God and that they know God, but do they really know him? Do they really know God? Well, we've heard a lot today in different meetings, I'm sure, about Easter and the many things that transpired at the garden tomb. I guess one of the most beautiful, when the eleven or ten apostles were gathered together in Luke, the 24th chapter, and the 36th to 39th verses, and Jesus appeared unto them, and they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said, Why are ye troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bone, as ye see me have. Now here we, we see the great God of heaven coming back once again as the resurrected Savior of this world. Now, I believe to me that the most thrilling of all is when we get into the, into the uh, book of Helaman, and Helaman, uh, of course, uh, toward the end, uh, Samuel Lamanite prophet climbs upon the high wall and talks about the signs that will take place at the time Jesus would come into the world and the signs at the time he would be crucified and, and die. And he said, There cometh a day and a night and a day, as though there were one day, and it will remain light, and great uh, stars and wonders will appear in the heavens, and this will be the sign of his coming. And then he gave a, a greater discourse and then went on to say, and then after thirty and three years, then there will be a second sign given, and the sign will be that there will be thick darkness gather upon the land for the space of three days. And then he told of terrible destructions that would take place. And all of these things he prophesied, many believed and went and sought Nephi and were baptized. Others tried to throw stones at him. They uh, shot arrows, but God, I'm sure, beheld the arrows, uh, withheld the arrows, and, and they could not touch him. And then Samuel, you remember, jumped down from the wall and retreated back into his Lamanite country, and there he prophesied. 
and we hear no more about Samuel the Lamanite. But there was a day set aside by the unbelievers, and Nephi, the son of Helaman, had a son named Nephi, and he turned the records, the brass plates over to Nephi, and then this uh, Nephi went off, and they heard, hear no more about Nephi, the son of Helaman. But his son now has charge, and so there's a day set aside by the unbelievers when if the sign that Samuel the Lamanite prophesied would take place, if it did not take place, then all the, the believers would be put to death. And you recall that Nephi knelt before the Lord and again prayed all the day long, and finally the word of the Savior Fear not, Nephi, for behold, on this night cometh I into the world, and on the morrow uh, shall, or this night the sun shall go down, and it shall remain light. And this great sign was given, and men prostrated themselves upon the earth and began to repent. It was only for a period, as oftentimes we go through a troublous period, and then we, we return to our rebellious ways and, and we rationalize, and uh, as those people did, and they fell back into their evil ways, many of them. And then finally they looked for the sign the believers did when the Savior would be crucified. And you recall on the 34th year, on the first month and the fourth day, that a great storm arose as had never been before in the land, a tempest beyond anything that had been known. And then as this tempest arose and the whirlwinds and earthquakes and the earth uh, covered many, many cities, they were buried, many were burned, the earth, the solid masses of rock from that time forth were evermore in seams and fragments, and they became high places and low places. Sixteen cities are recorded having been burned or buried or buried in the depths of the sea in, uh, I believe it's the eighth chapter of Third Nephi. And then you recall after this terrible destruction for three hours, then this darkness settled upon the land. And it was so dark that even the finest of kindling could not be lighted, and no candle or torch could be lighted that could penetrate the darkness. And then the words of Jesus Christ out of the heavens declaring all the destructions. He said, Behold, the city of Zarahemla have I caused to be burned, and the city of Moroni have I buried in the depths of the sea, and the city of Moroni have I caused to be buried, and in its place is a high mountain. And he went on to list all the different destructions that took place, and then he was quiet for a period of time, and the people were quiet, and then again the voice came back and declared many more things. And then on the fourth morning the sun came up, and of course great changes had taken place across the land. And approximately six weeks, according to James E. Talmage, later, the saints were gathered around the temple in the land which is called Bountiful. And as they gathered around the temple, they were talking about the Jesus, but also the great change that had taken place in the land. They heard a voice out of the heavens, Behold my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, who hath glorified my name in all things, who hath drunk the bitter cup. And then as they looked where the, from where, whence the voice came, uh, they saw a man descending out of heaven into their midst, and they thought it was an angel. And as he descended into their midst, he said, Behold, I am Jesus Christ. I was prepared before the foundation of the world, and have drunk the bitter cup which the Father commanded me. And then he commanded that every single person, there were 2,500 there, come forth and feel the prince in his hands and in his side, so that they would have a, a sure, absolute witness and testimony that this was Jesus the Christ, and they fall, all fell at the feet of Jesus and worshipped him. And this next thing was thrilling to me because the Lord commanded that Nephi should come forth. 2,500 people 
and he selects one man to come forth. And Nephi came forth and bowed down and kissed the feet of the Savior. And then you recall uh, he called others forth, and, and they were uh, given power. And then the Savior taught them many things. And let me just uh, refer you back to the, the fifth chapter of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. These same things, only in a much fuller degree, are given to the, the Nephites. And he gives them in the 12th and 13th chapters of 3rd Nephi. And then in the 15th chapter of 3rd Nephi, he said, Behold, I told them in Jerusalem that other sheep I had which were not of this fold, that them also I must bring, and there shall be, they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Behold, ye are they of whom I said, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, that them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And then he taught them more things. And finally, the compassionate, sweet, loving Jesus, whom I adore, said in the 17th chapter, I perceive that you are tired. Imagine, I perceive that you are tired, that you do not understand all of the words which I am commanded of the Father to speak unto you at this time. Therefore, go ye into your homes and ponder upon these things, and I come again unto you on the morrow. But now I go unto the lost tribes of Israel, for they are not lost unto the Father, for he knoweth whither he hath taken them. And this is the thing, as I read these words the first time, as in the introduction it's true, and as he thus spake, he cast his eyes round about again on the multitude, and beheld they were in tears, and did look steadfastly upon him as if they would ask him to tarry a little longer with them. And he said, Behold, my bowels are filled with mercy, my heart is filled with compassion, I perceive that ye have faith that I should do unto you what I have done unto your brethren at Jerusalem. Therefore, have ye neither sick, or halt, or blind, or maimed, or leprous? Bring them hither, and I will heal them, for my bowels are filled with mercy. And then you recall, all those who were afflicted in any manner were brought forth, and they were healed. And those who were brought forth, who were healed, as well as those who brought them forth, did bow down and kiss the feet of the Savior, insomuch that they did bathe his feet, with their tears. And then he commanded that their little children should be brought, and he gathered them round about him. And then it says, And Jesus wept. And then he commanded the multitude that they should kneel down, and then he knelt down and prayed. And they record, The ear hath not heard, neither hath the eye seen, neither ha can the heart conceive the great and marvelous things which we heard and saw Jesus pray unto the Father. And no heart can conceive of the joy which filled our souls at the time we heard him pray for us unto the Father. And then he arose, and, he, and so great was the multitude, the joy of the multitude, that they were overcome. And he commanded them to arise, and said, Behold your little ones. And as they looked to behold their little ones, angels descended out of heavens and ministered to those little ones. And then they say, And we bear record, and we know that our record is true, for we are in number 2,500 souls. And as I said in a talk some time ago, there were not 2,500. There were 2,501. I was there. I wouldn't have been any more surely there if I had actually been there than I was as I read that. I have an absolute witness that those beautiful things transpired. And then finally, in this last day, the generation of the prophet Joseph, he said, However, it was nevertheless a fact that I had beheld a vision. I have thought since that I felt much like Paul when he made his defense before King Agrippa and related the account of the vision he had when he heard a light and saw a voice, or heard, heard a voice and saw a light. 
Still there were but few who believed him. Some said he was mad, and others said he was, he was ridiculed and reviled, but all this did, did not destroy the reality of his vision. And all the persecution on, under heaven could not make it otherwise. And though they should persecute him unto death, yet he knew and would know to his latest breath that he had both seen a light and heard a voice. And then Joseph said, And so it was with me. I had actually seen a light. And in the midst of that light I saw two personages, and they did in reality speak to me. And while they were persecuting me, reviling me, and speaking all manner of e evil falsely, forsaying that I had seen a vision, I was led to say in my heart, Why persecute me for telling the truth? For I have seen a vision, and who am I that I can withstand God? Or why does the world think to make me deny what I have seen? I had actually seen a vision. I knew it, and I knew that God knew it. And I could not, de not deny it. At least I knew that by so doing, I would offend God and come under condemnation. To me, that is so thrilling. I was there. I know the prophet Joseph Smith had those experiences. It isn't hard for me to believe without one particle of doubt that the prophet Joseph Smith saw our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, and that this great God turned all that Joseph Smith needed to know over to Jesus Christ. This is my beloved son, hear him. And so this isn't a difficult thing. I would think, as President Kimball said, if all we could tell the world was the Joseph Smith story, we could convert the world. We have so much to offer in this church, and we don't begin to even scratch the tiniest, tiniest particle of it. We have those in the church who think, if I only could find more about the Adam-God theory, how many, you know, was Jesus Christ married, and, and, and all these different things that we can talk about. You know, I think that's great if, if you understand what faith is. What is faith? How does it work? Do you have total faith? When you come to a full and total understanding of faith, then I think we ought to move on to repentance, and we understand that totally, then through the principles. But I doubt you'll ever really get in a lifetime. I don't care how intellectual you are or how long you study, I doubt in a lifetime you'll ever come to an end of the study of faith, the first principles of the gospel. Now, the gospel is so, so simple that a fool will not err therein, but it's also so beautiful and so sophisticated that the greatest intellectual can make a study of faith and never come to an end of understanding, I believe. And then I think in our day, the 45th section of the Doctrine and Covenants thrills me because, again, it talks about the Redeemer. And this Lord says, Hearken, O ye people of my church, all of us, hearken, O ye people of my church, to whom the kingdom has been given. Hearken ye, and give her to him who laid the foundations of the heaven, who made the earth and all the host thereof, and by whom all things were made which live and move and have a being. And again, I say, Hearken unto my voice, lest death shall overtake you. In an hour when ye think not, the summer shall be past, the harvest ended, and your souls not saved. And then this part, listen to him who is your advocate with the Father, who is pleading your cause before him, saying, Father, behold these my brethren, behold the suffering of thy Son, the blood which was shed, the blood of him whom thou gavest, that thyself might be glorified. Wherefore, Father, spare these my brethren who come unto me, that they might receive eternal life. Would you think of anyone you'd rather have as an advocate than our beloved Savior? And then finally, I believe in the glorious testimony of all. 
in Sidney Rigdon and Joseph Smith as they had this great glorious experience open to them and they said, and now after the many testimonies which have been given of him, this is the testimony last of all which we give of him that he lives. For we saw him even on the right hand of God, and we heard the voice bearing record that he is the only begotten of the Father, that by him and through him and of him the worlds are and were created, and the inhabitants thereof are begotten sons and daughters unto God. I bear my solemn witness to you tonight that I know he is the Lord of lords, the God of heaven and earth, the great I am, the great I am God. I know that he is my Redeemer, Emmanuel. I know that he is the lover of my soul, the great atoner, and I know that he is my beloved Savior. And I pray that each one of us might be no more nearer to him tonight, nearer and dearer to him than we've ever been. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on overcoming adversity by study and by faith. Come follow me, Love and Marriage, and the Prophet Joseph Smith. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on Podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.